Hey everyone, it's producer Layla Mohammed, and I'm excited to share this conversation our host David Figler had recently. So everyone knows we're in a water crisis, and as it turns out, Las Vegas is actually pretty good at conserving water. We're becoming a model city for others around the world. One of the changes that's been drawing praise is AB 356, a bill passed last year that cuts back on non-functional turf. That will save us billions of gallons of water a year. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, David chats with J.C. Davis, Enterprise Conservation Manager at the Southern Nevada Water Authority, to talk about what non-functional turf means and why your local business and your HOA should get on the turf conversion train ASAP. It's Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. I'm Leila Mohammed, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. First of all, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Uh, glad to have you. So a lot of longtime Las Vegans know that we have a lot of issues here as it relates to water. So tell me what the Water District has been doing with regard to the issue of lawns. It's interesting you, you bring up uh, lawns because lawns are actually uh, one of the primary drivers for that legislation, AB 356. We've been pleading and paying people for the better part of two decades to take out purely ornamental grass and replace it with drip irrigated plants. And the reason is pretty simple, because those plants on the same footprint use 75% less water, right? So it's a great way to extend our community's water supply. And residents have taken us up on it in a big way. Residents have already removed about two-thirds of their purely ornamental turf. And when I say purely ornamental turf, I'm really talking about front lawns. Right. Because let's face it, we don't live in rural Indiana. Nobody plays in the front yard here. And so they have voluntarily done this. And by the way, they are not subject to this new law. Residents are not. What we have found, though, is that the business community and office parks and homeowners associations with their entry turf and their streetscapes and stuff have lagged far behind. They've only taken out about 25% of their non-functional turf. And they were very resistant to doing so, even though it benefited them in terms of the security of the community's water supply, they just weren't having it. Right. And so with conditions deteriorating on the Colorado River as they are, um, we said, well, we need to really do something about that. So now on this bill that we're going to be talking about on the podcast today, Assembly Bill 356 from the last session, is, is this just a first step or was this the most important thing that we needed to do right now? This was the most important thing that we needed to do right now. We're certainly uh, exploring other avenues that don't involve landscapes uh, right now, and I can talk about those in a bit. But again, like I said, residents have already stepped up in a meaningful way, right? They're, they're taking out their front yards and they're replacing it with plants. But the other sectors of the community have lagged far behind in terms of their willingness to embrace conservation. So we needed to to move this forward and compel them to do so because 
they just weren't inclined to do it. Nobody goes to a gas station because it has a lawn. Nobody goes, picks a dentist uh, because there's a lawn in front of the office complex. That's not how those decisions get made. Right. And, and so if they, if they weren't going to do it voluntarily, we had to compel them to do it. And what's interesting about AB 356 is that, well, first of all, it doesn't actually require them to remove the grass. And because you're an attorney, you'll appreciate this. The law actually says that water agencies after 2026 cannot use the community's municipal water supply from Colorado River right. for irrigating that non-functional grass. So if people want to stock up on Avion for their business park, I suppose they can. But from a functional perspective, we believe a lot of people are just going to convert it over to drip irrigated plants. Yeah, just just not practical to grab those bottles of Evian or Perrier and, and hand water your, your ornamental grass out, out front of your business, right? Exactly. And a lot of and you kind of ask the question in terms of is, is this the big thing? We have disadvantages and advantages in terms of our water supply. Our primary disadvantage is that back when they divvied up the Colorado River almost 100 years ago, depending upon which theory you like, either our guy was at the bar (laughs) or they realized that Southern Nevada really didn't have any agricultural potential and therefore they gave us a tiny share. We only get 1.8% of the river's flows, despite the fact that we are the only metropolitan area using the Colorado River that's actually within 100 miles of the river. But that's how it is. Those, those rules are set in stone and they cannot be changed. So, and there's a lot of discussion about that. Uh, right. You know, did we get a fair share or not? And, and whether or not when those accords were being made, whether anyone could predict the explosive growth of Southern Nevada. Why do you think that some Las Vegans are going to resist and they're going to hold on to this concept of you, you, uh, I think we call it non-functional grass, but is that synonymous with like just ornamental that doesn't have any real purpose other than looking pretty? Yes. I mean, the way we view non-functional grass, and there's a whole set of definitions that an advisory committee developed for that, but does it pass the swing set test, <laughs> right? If you, if you wouldn't put a swing set on it, it's probably not functional. Or put another way, the lawnmower test. If the only person who ever walks on that grass is pushing a mower right. because they work for the landscaping crew, really not a good use of grass. So things like parks and, and school play areas and athletic fields, those are fine because they actually provide value to people. They provide recreational value. But grass just for driving by because it looks pretty it's much better to replace those with drip irrigated plants that use a quarter of the water. And that's really the focus. But if I can really quick, we definitely got the short end of the stick when it came to the Colorado river allocation. But our one advantage is that we capture and recover almost a hundred percent of all indoor water. So if you think about Southern Nevada, there's the only even comparable city on the planet is Singapore. Um, is that we are a perpetual motion machine for water, but only for that water that's used indoors and can be captured and recovered. So what are our major uses that can't be recovered? Number one with a bullet is landscaping, with the majority of that being turf. Right. Because it takes 73 gallons of water a square foot to keep 
turf alive for a year here. And that's that's almost a 10-foot column of water just to keep that, that turf alive for a year. Whereas it takes a quarter of that, about 17 gallons, to keep a plant alive. And it's simply because the irrigation style, right? If you've got plants, you're dropping the water, literally a drop at a time right at the root base. If you are doing spray irrigation, which you pretty much have to do for grass, you're basically throwing water into the air and hoping for the best. And in one of the most arid, windiest environments in the country, it's not a great bet, as it were. One of the things that we've talked about on this podcast before are are heat islands. And yep. we know that when you get rid of green stuff and you replace it with gravel and rock and asphalt and things like that, it, it also has an impact. So how do we assuage those folks who are saying, you know, we can't do things that make it hotter and removing turf makes it hotter? Well, the first thing I would tell them is that I understand why they believe it, but it's not true. Hmm. And it's not true because shade is much better at preventing heat buildup than evapotranspiration off of grass. And so one of our requirements for doing a turf conversion to drip irrigated plants is that you have to have at a minimum 50% canopy coverage between trees and plants. And on the point of, of trees, we're big advocates of trees. Trees are our friends for exactly the reasons that you stated and more. And so we have worked very hard with professional arborists and with the Department of Forestry and others to develop tools for HOAs and professional landscapers and those to try to preserve tree health during these transitions. We don't want the trees to suffer, but you have to understand that if you've got a tree and it grew up in the middle of grass in a business park, right? Irrigation systems for grass are only designed to penetrate about three inches into the soil. That's the whole point, right? because the roots are so shallow. That is the equivalent of raising your kid on a, a diet of pixie sticks and lucky charms and then wondering why you won't eat real food. So I, Come on, I, I turned out okay on that exact diet. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that jury is out too. But anyway, please continue. So there's some things you have to do to protect those plants and trees during and after the transition, because you've actually got to train the roots, which have grown up their whole life reaching for the surface because that's where the water is. Right. And you've got to train them to go down. And it's a process, but it actually can be done. And we're at, we're over 200 million square feet of turf converted. So we've kind of got the hang of it in terms of preserving tree health. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. So are there any stories that you've gathered positive stories of the benefits of the removal of turf from some businesses or others in the community? Well, I mean, the, the biggest thing they see is, is that their uh, water bills decrease substantially. The second thing they see is that they're not having to resurface their parking lots or their streets uh, nearly as often. So for instance, HOAs, resurfacing the streets is actually kind of a big expense for them. As it turns out, the two arch enemies of asphalt are um, sun and water. So wrought iron gates that have, have rusted out because they're in the path of spray irrigation, uh, stucco that's gotten ruined, buildings that have to be repainted. All of these things that are sort of invisible cost, suddenly when you don't have water causing that damage, uh, 
business owners, apartment managers, all the HOA association management companies, they were all like, wow, that, that actually got a lot less expensive. And all we had to do was stop spraying water on places that don't want to have water sprayed on them. And you think people, um, and especially these businesses, are going to do this turf removal, just bringing it back to the subject of AB 356, now when it's not really required until 2026? Well, yeah, we're actively reaching out to all of those entities that have turf saying, hey, you want to get an early seat on the bus because the law of supply and demand, not the law of AB 356, but the laws of economics dictate that as demand grows and supply remains roughly the same, prices are going to increase, right? So plant materials are going to cost more. Mm -hmm. Landscaping services to do the conversions are going to cost more. So we're actively encouraging people to do it sooner than later. And in fact, we even worked with the state to expand an existing uh, low interest loan program that was designed for energy efficiency projects to encompass water efficiency projects. It seems like that creativity and those type of incentivizing is working well. I mean, from what we talked about with the zeroscaping or the lawn removal for residents to this, that it sounds great. So, uh, JC, it, it, it's 2026. You know, watering the ornamental grass is now behind us because of this law. What does the community look like then? I mean, how much will this bill impact the water crisis that everyone seems to be very concerned about? Well, there's a water crisis on two scales and on the local scale in terms of helping us weather whatever cuts that we're going to face because of the crisis in Lake Mead. It'll help a lot because remember, our only consumptive uses, the only thing that counts against our allocation is basically landscape irrigation, evaporative cooling. Uh, there's some septic systems in there and some of the older homes. And then any export products like, you know, bottling operations that send their water out of market. They're basically exporting our allocation to someplace else, right? So those are, you, we really have a, an opportunity to make a meaningful difference in terms of, of where our allocation is. Now that's the good news. The bad news is that when you look at the impact of our efforts and our savings on the elevation of Lake Mead, it's so small that it's inconsequential yeah. because we're a tiny user. We only get 1.8% of the river and we don't even use all of that. Yeah. So the other, the other people, the other communities that benefit off of the Colorado River source have to be doing these things too. And from what I understand, the lessons of Southern Nevada are, are now being extolled all over the place that, you know, we're, we're kind of showing people how we do it here. Who would have thunk that Las Vegas would have been a model for something uh, good like this, right? You know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I've been with the agency uh, about 25 years. And when I came on board, we were sort of the poster child for water waste, right? It was Las Vegas, anything goes and, and no real rules applied. And then, you know, in, in 2003, you know, following the first two years of drought, we enacted some of these measures we have transformed into one of the most water efficient communities in the world. I regularly get calls from my colleagues. I was on the phone yesterday with Phoenix. I was on the phone last week with Sydney, Australia. I mean, people call us and go, hey, how'd you do that? And, and the reality is, if, if you can get people to take these 
small but meaningful measures that don't really impact their quality of life. I mean, even if you look at the aesthetic value of grass, right? Because I was making a homeowners association presentation last night and, and they were like, well, we like the grass. It's really pretty when we drive by it. And I said, and I get that. And, and nobody wants to change. The only people who like change are wet babies. I understand. <laughs> but you did in fact move to the driest metropolitan community in the United States and one of the driest communities in the world. And so sometimes the bill comes due. And when it does, you have to make smallish sacrifices. And I consider taking the thing you drive by and converting it from grass to some attractive drip irrigated plants to be a small sacrifice. That's not really a quality of life issue. You're driving by, you're looking out your, your side window or your windshield. It's still green. It's still pretty. It just uses a quarter of the water. I don't think that's a lot to ask considering the severity of the situation. Yeah. I mean, changing minds and hearts when it comes to aesthetic is, is always hard. And of course, again, you're never going to convince my puppy when he goes to the gas station, that rocks are better than grass. But I, I will and have a talk to him. I will have a talk to him. You know, it's funny that you, you bring that up. That is actually the single greatest concern that I get expressed. As I call it, fear of the defecation strike. <laughs> that my dog can only go on grass. Well, yeah. let's tell you what. I, I'm a dog owner. My wife may be the world's biggest dog lover. And as it turns out... If there is no grass present, when nature calls, that dog's going to answer whether it is on rock, on the uh, street, wherever it is, that's where that's going to happen. And so it's it's actually a pretty easy adjustment for our canine friends to make. Fantastic. Anything else, JC, you want the community to know about AB 356? I guess the last thing I would say on that subject is, is that a few people have said, well, this is really harsh. This is pretty severe that you're making us do this. and at first, I thought, well, you know, it's necessary, but maybe it's rough. But then California came out in May and said, oh, by the way, that non-functional turf, the way that the Water Authority describes it in Nevada, uh, California is in a water emergency. L.A. County, you can stop watering your non-functional turf right now. No incentive, no grace period, no nothing. Just do it now. And so relative to how they handle that situation, I, I, I think we're being relatively gentle. Yeah, Las Vegas hospitality wins again. <laughs> JC Davis, Enterprise Conservation Manager for the Turf Removal Project at the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Absolute pleasure talking all things watering and lawns with you today. And, uh, you know, as the Water Authority does some other measures and we want to get the word out, we'll look forward to having you back on CityCast Las Vegas. Happy to do it. Thanks. That was a great conversation. To learn more about converting your neighborhood's non-functional turf, head over to snwa.com. All right, a few things you should know today. First, here are three important numbers to remember. 988. Starting Saturday, that will be Nevada's three-digit mental health hotline. Whether it's you or a friend or a family member in crisis, you'll no longer have to spend crucial time figuring out who to call. And on the public health front, turns out there are some things we're not so good at. Vegas ranks 95 out of 100 cities in the American College of Sports Medicine's annual fitness rankings. Henderson does a little better at 93, but the least fit city in Nevada? North Las Vegas at 99. 
That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Did you learn something new today? Enjoy the show? Go text this episode to a friend. Seriously, go do it right now. You can also rate the show, five stars please, write us a nice little review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. Can we move on? (laughs) Okay.